Welcome back to Puck University. I'm your host, Tim Williams, joined as usual by our actual correspondent who's at these games. And this weekend, he's going to be at the XL Center for the Frozen Four. From InsideHockey.com, it's Chris Lynch. Chris, how's Minnesota? It is really cold and really snowy, which I'm not surprised about, but the, the locals tell me that it's not normally this cold and snowy in April, so I'll take their word for it. But the arena is great. If you've never had the chance to go to the XL Center for uh, an event, go at some point. It's, it's fabulous. You'll, you'll love it. I, I certainly do. It's an ideal venue for the Frozen Four in a lot of ways with so much college hockey in the upper Midwest and especially in the, in what they call the state of hockey. Oh, it's perfect, especially considering how uh, every team is a, quote, Western or Midwestern team in this year's Frozen Four. The first time that we've had that happen since the last time it was held in this building in 2011 where Duluth. North Dakota, Notre Dame, and Michigan all all reached the uh, Frozen Four in 2011. So it's a great venue. It's a great setup. And this place is going to be rocking and rolling tomorrow with all the fans showing up here. And, of course, games begin at 5 o'clock Central Time. That would be 4 o'clock for those of us on the East Coast, of course. So that will be something to be seen. And, you know, it... In a way, it's kind of disappointing at times that the Frozen Four is on a Thursday as opposed to a Friday, but we've got such great matchups that it hardly matters with Ohio State and Minnesota Duluth taking the first game, followed by Michigan and Notre Dame. And I I know that on this podcast before, when we've talked about the Big Ten, you in particular, Chris, have brought up how big the Notre Dame versus Michigan matchup is and how that how Notre Dame's inclusion in the Big Ten has made this rivalry, which used to be an annual thing in football, kind of transition over to hockey. So it'll be nice. That's the later game, but I guess we'll start there with Notre Dame and Michigan because it's such a matchup that that has a lot of history with it. And we've and again, we kind of have been building to this. Well, between the schools in terms of general competition, yeah, there's plenty of competition and their football teams, Michigan and Notre Dame, have been playing since 1887 was the, was the first meeting. So their schools have a lot of history. And in terms of uh, hockey history, Notre Dame doesn't actually have a lot of long-term success in the hockey world. They only started really winning when Jeff Jackson showed up and they went to their first Frozen Four in uh in 2008 and played for their only national championship that year so it they've not actually had as anywhere near as much uh national hockey success as michigan has of course michigan the winningest team in the history of the sport with nine national championships and their last one coming in 1998 so uh there's a lot there is plenty of history between the schools they've played each other a lot this year they've had some great games. I think every single one of their matchups has been by one or two goals. They split them evenly, and these teams match up so well. It, I maintain it's one of the best things that this sport has to offer Is in the new Big Ten is these kinds of big school, big sport rivalries. And it's fitting that they get to take each other on on the big stage. Notre Dame has been building to this for a while now especially this season with Notre Dame being at the top or near the top of the rankings all year long. They come in, they, the last time they measured such things, they were pulled as the number two team in the country. Now that's been a while, but they are, they're the only one seed to have made it out of their bracket and into the next round. Am I correct in that? Or did I get Ohio state wrong? Uh, you got Ohio State mixed up because they yeah, actually, yeah, they're a one seed, even though Denver really felt like a one seed because, you know, they're the reigning national champions and Ohio State hasn't been here in 20 years. They are actually a one seed. But Notre Dame is the top overall seed remaining in this tournament. And they're going to, well, they're led by a great goaltender in Kale Morris, who they had a great goaltender for years before that, and it was ex- it was a question coming into Notre Dame season how they would be able to 
fair without the goalie they had been leading their team for for years and now they have kale morris who didn't just step in and take take over the job he's done even better than that and suddenly the fighting irish are in the frozen four well cal peterson did a great job last season in leading this team all the way to the frozen four last year this this irish team all around is an experienced and battle-tested unit they've made a habit of playing tight games of coming back late of uh, entertaining fans and of giving their 66 or 67 year old head coach a couple heart attacks with the way that they've played and he's given him grief for always shortening the length of his life for, or giving him heart cardiac issues for how exciting a kind of game they play but you're right about uh, Morris he filled in for Cal Peterson who was the captain of the team last year which is unusual for a goaltender to be the captain but Peterson was good enough to get them there and Notre Dame last year had a learning experience year against Denver when they lost six to one and they didn't even feel that close in the game. So it's a magnificent performance by Morris to this point. He's, I think he's probably going to win the Richter award for best goaltender uh, in the nation, which will be awarded on Saturday or it'll be, excuse me, it'll be awarded on Friday, which Grass and Melrose will be uh, doing a thing for, uh, for fans to hand, uh, to hand out the awards. So, He'll win it, but the rest of the Irish team is a veteran-laden, experienced team that I really do think the Irish are the favorite to win this year's national championship. Yeah, I'd say they'd have to be the favorite coming into this weekend. Of course, that should be couched with the with the obvious statement that in a 16-team tournament where it takes so much just to get in, there really are no upstart Frozen Four teams. There are teams that we might not have penciled in there. And I can think, I would say at least two teams in this Frozen Four are teams you might not have penciled into it, but that doesn't necessarily make it an upset that they're there. And I'd say that anyone could win this, but coming in, Given the season they've had and how they've been front runners throughout the season, this is Notre Dame's like this is their first four. They're the ones that come in with the highest ranking. And if there is such a thing as a favorite in a tournament this close, I'd have to say Notre Dame takes that mantle. Oh, absolutely. I mean, every single one of these teams belongs here. And let me take a stab at the at the two teams that you said you might not have penciled them in when uh when this tournament got underway. I'm going to guess it was Michigan and Duluth as your teams you wouldn't have penciled in here. Am I correct? That That's correct. And not because they're that either of them aren't worthy of the Frozen Four, but when, we, when people I talked to were breaking down these brackets and I saw other fans doing so, very few of them seem to have Michigan getting through that regional and into the Frozen Four. And the same is true of Duluth. And again, that's not to say anything about the seasons they've had. Both of them earned their way, but it's a little bit surprising to see both of them there, just given the regions they had. It seemed like the odds were stacked against both of them, and they both came through. And that's something we see in the NCAA tournament almost every year. I could think last year Notre Dame came in, and people didn't expect them to make much noise at all because they had just been drubbed out of the hockey East semifinal by a UMass Lowell team that was on fire and suddenly there they were in the Frozen Four and they're back again. Oh yeah, I mean last year's Notre Dame team was the surprise appearance of of the tournament and a lot of people, myself included, didn't think they'd get through Minnesota, and, who was the number one overall seed in that region and I certainly didn't think they'd get through Lowell, who I thought was a Frozen Four team the whole year last year. That obviously not the case for them this year. Michigan was that way this year. I mean, they upset Northeastern in Worcester and then beat the hottest team in the nation, BU. I won't call it a blowout at all because the 6-3 to three score gives the indication that it was not as close a game as it was, but these teams, those teams fought and battled and played each other tight to the end. So it's quite an incredible performance that... Um, uh, that Michigan had to put on here. They, they've got the top line to compete with pretty much anyone, and then they showed it. And the coolest thing about this tournament, I think, is that it can show a team that has grown up as the season has gone on. You don't have to have gotten off to the hottest start possible. 
you can be slow for a, you can miss your marks for the first month or two of the season. But if you're playing well at the right time, you can make it here and you can win. And Michigan is worthy of uh, being here. They certainly can win. And Duluth got in by point zero zero one points on the art on the uh, pairwise rankings and actually are thanking Notre Dame for beating Ohio State and changing the rankings oh so very much to help get them into the tournament this year. It should also be noted that everyone in this Frozen Four has had at least one game in this NCAA tournament where they were pushed to their absolute limit. Notre Dame had their hands full and then some against Michigan Tech in one of the first games of the NCAA tournament, having to go to overtime. And just to get it to overtime, they had to come back and tie it. It really looked like Michigan Tech was going to win that game. And Notre Dame ended up coming out victorious. Minnesota Duluth also had to go to overtime to beat Minnesota State Mankato, coming out of that region, by the way. So that'll tell you how good that game was. That might have been the game of the tournament. And Northeastern and Michigan played dead even for almost their entire game. It was it, Michigan escaped that by a hair. They really earned it. And they just barely got through that tough game. Everyone's had a tough road to get here. Ohio State seemed like they might have had the easiest one, but they really had their hands full with Princeton in that first round in Allentown. I would say that uh, it was a tough matchup between Princeton and Ohio State in game one, but the real tight matchup, because both those Princeton goals were scored late when Ohio State was up 4 nothing, and Buckeyes still ended up winning 4-2. I'd say the real big test was against the defending national champion, Denver Pioneers. Well, I thought we we're going to be back here, and at least at the start of the season, I really thought that they were going to win their second consecutive national championship the way they had played all season and had just won their conference. So uh, an incredible run by Ohio State, especially late in that game, to get and build the lead and to state emphatically that they can hang with the big club. Because Ohio State doesn't have a lot of hockey tradition. They've been to the Frozen Four twice, including this year. And the last time they were here was in 1998. They lost their opportunity in uh, 98 to BC to go and play for the national championship. They have never played a national championship game. So just from a program perspective, it's a big thing for the Buckeyes to get here. And it's a big thing also to validate the Big Ten to have three teams here. So you're right about every team has had a, a tough ride to get here. And every team has been pushed in some way or another. Though I'd say the Michigan Tech versus Notre Dame game was the best uh, game of the tournament so far. Just just slightly, though. I'd agree. I, I'd agree. I, I think that there have been some really great games in this tournament. I think Duluth versus Mankato was an excellent game from start to finish. As much as I was disappointed at the result, I thought Michigan and Northeastern both played very good hockey throughout the 60 minutes. It, it wasn't like either team would have lost that game. It was all about who was going to take it. And that's what oh, and you oh, want to see in those single elimination tournaments, by the way, is you if you're a fan of a team playing, it's one thing to lose. But so long as you go down with your best players in your best game, then you lost. So what? That happens. It's a 16-team tournament. That's going to happen. Michigan was a great team. They played a great game that day. Oh, yeah. Go down fighting. is You always should go down fighting. I'd say that of every team that's gone down. And by the way, I think Notre Dame is... In terms of the games that they've played, they've had the toughest road to get here because they had the overtime thriller against Tech, and then Providence gave them a run for their money as well in the regional final at Bridgeport. So, really, Notre Dame has had the hardest road to get here, and I would add on that they just continue to have opportunities to gain experience and throw more reasons onto why I think they're the favorite for this tournament. They've got the most experience. They've been here last year, and... They competed throughout the Big Ten, which I think is, if not already, I think it's it's a, it's validated itself as it's here to stay. It's a real hockey conference, and they've got three teams in the Frozen Four. I don't think you can ask for much more out of a conference than that. Something that's occurring to me with the Big Ten is, as 
upsetting as it might be what it did to the um to the landscape of college hockey when it came into existence the big 10 has almost promoted an air of greater parity in college hockey because you mentioned ohio state does not have this tradition of of great hockey and while notre dame does have some moments where they were fantastic especially in recent years they really don't either. Michigan certainly does, and Duluth, of course, does. So the, there's history represented in this Frozen Four, and then some with Michigan's long, long history. But there is an air of growing parity, and I think the Big Ten, as much as it, it might be tough to admit it for a lot of people, it's kind of leading that charge with Ohio State reaching a new level, Notre Dame staying at the level they're at, and suddenly Penn State has made two straight tournaments as well. It's a growing conference full of a couple of teams that really didn't have a hockey history, and now they're developing one. That's going to that's going to help all of college hockey to have more teams and not just be the same blue bloods every single year, because we've seen that in certain college sports and it turns people off from them. I think you could definitely say that. And in the press conferences that we've had already so far today here in, here in St. Paul, uh, Scott Sandlin, the head coach at Duluth and Steve Rolick, the head coach at Ohio state, who by the way, was an assistant coach with Sandlin for 10 years at Duluth. And, now gets to play against him this year because, of course, that's uh, how cinematic we have to make all of this. You, you know how uh, tournaments like this always are. Anyway, so both of them commented that the parody in college hockey, and these are guys who have been around it for a long time, the parody has never been greater, and the amount of competition between the programs has never been this insane or this deep. They are... Every team has the opportunity to improve. Every team has the opportunity to go out and get the big-time players. And there's about four or five or six teams in outside of the ones that are here. There's a bunch of teams that, if a few bounces go their way, they very well could get here. Air Force in the Atlantic, in the Atlantic and also having the uh, different set of recruiting issues of being a military school was about three bounces away from getting here. Providence barely missed out on an opportunity to get here. Mankato, same deal. BU, same deal. Northeastern, same deal. We've never had this kind of parity in college hockey, and I think it's a great thing for the sport that things are going to be interesting for a long time now because there is some familiarity in this year's Frozen Four with Duluth and Notre Dame being in it again, but... Duluth wasn't expected to get back here, and uh, and Notre Dame is not a traditional hockey power. So it's a great time to be a college hockey fan with the way these programs are developing. And, of course, a big part of this as well is there's just – there are more top players entering college hockey almost every year than there ever were before. And by top players, I mean guys who you expect to see one day in the NHL – they're everywhere in college hockey, and that means almost anyone can recruit them if they go out and find them. And suddenly you have these schools like Ohio State finding some of these really great, talented players. You mentioned Northeastern, whose hockey history is kind of sitting alongside people who have good hockey histories. And suddenly they're bringing in, we'll talk about it in a little bit, they could be a Hobie Baker winner. You have that there. You have Michigan, who we thought they had this great program under uh, under Red Barrison, and they certainly did. But even without Barrison, they haven't missed a beat. In fact, they're better than they were before, and they're back here in the in the Frozen Four, which is a remarkable accomplishment given how much they've been through in the last couple of years on the hockey side. Things are changing in the college hockey world, and they're changing for the better. And now it's getting to the point where next year, don't pencil people into the Frozen Four at all because when you see those 16 teams, pretty much all of them could win the whole thing at this point. I think it's one of the things I enjoy the most about being a college hockey person is that every team that gets into the tournament can win. That's partly because it's a smaller field, but 
great great accomplishment by Loyola, for example, to make it all the way to the to the uh, Final Four. But honestly, I don't think I could look at uh, at the basketball tournament and think any one of these teams could make it to the national championship. Uh, Loyola did, and kudos to them. They had a great run at it, but you look at the NCAA hockey side and it's all, it's all awesome stuff uh, brewing here. So you just got to have as much fun with it as, as you possibly can. And you guys over at Northeastern are going to have a good team for a while now with, uh, with the way that things built up though. A a lot of schools are. Oh yeah. That's the great thing about all this is that now you can't predict who's going to be where. What I was getting at is I remember when I was at Northeastern back in the early 2000s. If you weren't Maine, New Hampshire, BU, or BC, you had no chance of coming out of Hockey East, essentially. You had no chance of winning anything bigger than Hockey East. Those four schools were dominant over everybody else and just head and shoulders they led in recruiting they led in all these other things and the same thing happened with a few schools out west such as michigan where it was really dominated by the same blue bloods every single year and those teams are still there they still have very good programs but they're joined by so many of these others on the rise and now there's that parody there that we that we know and we love and we like to see because we don't want to turn into we look at the NCAA tournament and we say oh them again they're just going to get to the frozen four that's not that's that might never happen again it seems like college hockey's getting better and better every year and with a 16-team tournament, that's going to create a lot of uncertainty. And uncertainty is always a lot of fun for us sports fans. Great time to be a fan of this whole madness. Uh, I just, I, it would have been really nice to have seen the team from the WCHA to make it after we uh, had wanted to see Mankato or Tech or someone get there. But, you know, we're still getting plenty of parity. We're still getting uh, plenty of good teams and plenty of entertaining situations. So... This will be a great time to be a fan. And this this tournament upcoming, I mean, get excited. We're, we got one of the grandest rivalries between uh, Michigan and Notre Dame. And that matchup between Ohio State and Duluth, that's got some history between it as well, uh, looking at just thinking ahead to this weekend. Yeah, we need to touch more on Duluth and Ohio State. We talked a little bit about Michigan and Notre Dame and their big game at 8.30, but the the earlier game at 5 o'clock Central, again, that's Central time, ladies and gentlemen, that's Minnesota, Duluth, and Ohio State. And as, as you mentioned, not a lot of people expected Minnesota, Duluth to be here. And frankly, for a number one seed, which – It'll tell you what kind of a one seed Ohio State was. I forgot they were a one seed earlier in this podcast that they were almost expected to fall to a school as good as Denver. And here they are. So it's almost two surprise teams. Although with Ohio State, I would imagine at this point, they're getting tired of being called a surprise. They've been in the top 10 pretty much all year. Oh yeah. They've been one of the best defensive hockey teams all season. And I think for a lot of people who aren't living in the Midwest or people who aren't following the Big Ten or following Western hockey in general, you might not be aware of just how good defensively this team is or how really how gifted they are. But they can shut you down in a lot of different ways. Their penalty kill is among the best in uh, in the nation. Tanner Lazinski is an unbelievable scorer. And Mason Jobst is one of, one of their juniors and one of their leaders on the team. He's one of their captains. And he was touching on the point earlier of bringing in good players. He fits in the class of a Mar- Marty St. Louis of being an undersized forward who didn't get a lot of hype or a lot of praise. He was not drafted and now is one of college hockey's best. And he's one of the reasons why Ohio State is as competitive as they are. And... Sean Romeo, their goaltender, has an absurd story for how he ended up at Ohio State. He started in Hockey East at the University of Maine in the 15-16 season, or uh, 14-15 season. And he was their starting goaltender for a bit when Maine was struggling and was transitioning from Tim Whitehead to uh, Red Gendron as their new head coach. And he lost out on the job for the 15-16 season, then decided that he wanted to transfer and go somewhere else. So he transferred to Denver, but then he gets out there and they recruit this other kid, Tanner Gillette, who's unbelievable and becomes the starter 
forever and won the Richter Award last year and won a national championship last year with Denver. And he decides, I'm not going to get a chance to play here at all. So he transferred to Ohio State, sat out all of last season, continued to work even though he knew he wasn't going to play at all, and then got in net. He beat out two senior goaltenders for Ohio State and has been one of the best goalkeepers all season. So Sean Romeo for just individuals to watch in this tournament. One of the one of the real highlight feel-good stories of the people that you should be paying attention to this year. And that's one of the things that college hockey will always bring you are a couple of people with some strange routes to get to the Frozen Four and some long trips to get there and maybe not the likeliest of hockey heroes, but... That, that's part of what makes the Frozen Four the Frozen Four. And what makes college sports what they are in general, really, are the guys who we talk about the top prospects that are headed to the pros. We talk about the top players who are up for awards. And we often miss out on it's all about depth in almost any sport anyway. And it's those guys who aren't at the top of the, at, at the, top of the program who might end up being the difference between winning and losing on the highest level. Yeah, Ohio State certainly has all the ability in the world to do that. And Duluth has had a somewhat uh, similar story because Duluth is certainly closer to a blue blood program than, uh, than Ohio State is just based off of their tradition. But they were in the national championship game last year and did absolutely everything in that game against Denver and gave them all they could handle. But just didn't get the final goal to go in in the third period and didn't get the victory and ended up losing. And uh, a lot of players graduated, and their their goaltender, Hunter Miska, left early to go to the pros, and they had a turnaround season of their own. And they're, they're one of the – I can't really call them an upset team either based off of their history or their uh, – or their uh the talent that they have because Carson Coleman at center is just incredible and uh Riley Tufty is picked by the stars is is a big guy who can skate and who can score and these teams are these teams are good there is a little bit of a discrepancy in record just between these two teams it's not that much it's not that meaningful or significant but Man, this is both the games are going to be really tough to call on uh, on on Thursday afternoon, and these these teams are good. These teams are really fun to watch. Now, I won't because we've been talking about how how up in the air all these games are and how close these teams really are to each other. I won't put you in the position of having to make predictions and pick who's going to win these games. But I'll ask you this for the Minnesota-Ohio State game, then we'll move on to the nightcap. If Ohio State wins this game, how are they going to do it? And if Michigan or if Minnesota-Duluth wins this game, how are they going to do it? See, see, Ohio State last season in the 2017 year, they were a run-and-gun type of team that could shoot you out of the building and could win that way. And they were a one-track team, and they played track meet hockey. This year, they can do that, but their bread and butter is winning defensively and winning in a way where Romeo's stopping shots, Jobs is hitting people, Lezinski's coming up with big goals. So they can win it both ways. Duluth, they're an amoeba of a team. They can adapt to pretty close to anything and everything you throw at them. I'll guess that if Ohio State wins, it'll be a one nothing or 2-1 game uh, that uh, they get a goal early on in the third period and then hold on for dear life. If Duluth wins, it'll be a heartbreaker because they've made a habit of playing these tight games in the NCAA tournament. Their last nine games in the tournament have been decided by one goal. So... They're going to give uh, – if they win, I think they will come up with an overtime goal or come up with something late, and I think they'll absolutely shatter Ohio State's hearts if they do win. And I, you won't put me in the position of picking a victor. I'll put myself in that position. And I think Ohio State has more defensive depth than, uh, than what Duluth will be able to throw at the Buckeyes. So I think Ohio State will come away with a victory and go to their first national championship game. It would be great to see in one way that I can think of 
especially for Ohio State. And, and that's that when we talk about hockey and when someone's first getting into hockey, I, I won't talk in terms of hockey experts, but people who are just fans and just starting to follow the sport. For example, a freshman at Ohio State who got caught up in this. It, what they might think of, they'll see the scorers, they'll see the goals, they'll see goaltenders stand on their head for these incredible games. And defense is kind of, it, it takes a while to understand what's going on on defense in hockey if you haven't played the sport and if you haven't followed the sport very long. Because the goaltender gets so much of the credit, but it's really in a lot of ways about limiting shot quality, if not quantity. And Ohio State's done a great job of doing both of those things. But when, one thing they will not let you do, if you play against Ohio State, you are going to have to put the puck through the goalie they're not going to give you open net to shoot on yeah that's their defensive scheme that's the way that they've improved and that's the biggest thing that they improved of between this year and last year and Sandlin the head coach at Duluth is familiar with this team they actually played last year in the west regional in the NCAA tournament and it went to overtime it ended up being I think a three to two or two to one victory for Duluth that they scratched out at the very end of the year last year. So these teams have, these teams are familiar, and uh, these teams are going to have a good time tomorrow at uh, 5 o'clock East, Eastern and I think uh, Central and 6 o'clock Eastern. Uh, so it'll be fun. Bucci and Melrose, I think, should have a pretty good call uh, of, the, of the game. Yeah, that's... That that should be a really good game between those two teams. And then, of course, same question with Michigan and Notre Dame. If Notre Dame is to advance to the final, how are they going to do it? And if Michigan's going to get over Notre Dame and pass by a team that dominated the Big Ten, by the way, as good as that conference was, there was never any doubt about who was going to win the Big Ten regular season title, and that was Notre Dame. So if Michigan's to win this, how are they going to get past Notre Dame? Well, I don't think it's as uh, wide a discrepancy as a lot of uh, indicators might point to, just because these teams played four times during the course of the regular season and split them, and every game was decided uh, pretty closely by a goal or so. So, I mean, it'll be a tight game. I think if Michigan wins, their top-tier talent of Quinn Hughes leading the blue line and uh, Cooper Marodi on on their top line on the forward unit will be the reasons why because those two guys in particular can score and my god can they score i got to watch these guys take on uh northeastern and uh, and bu in in worcester and they were those two guys in particular have got to be at the head of the uh of the class in terms of moving the puck, quarterbacking the power play, setting up line mates and uh, the decor for shots on net. And they got a pepper Kale Morris. So if they win, I think it'll be from overwhelming offensive skill and talent. For Notre Dame, if they come up with the victory, it'll be because they can out-hit Michigan. They're a more tested, battle-hardened team. And uh, it'll be because Kale Morris is – as of right now, a better goaltender than Hayden Levine. So, and I think Notre Dame has what you need for championship hockey at this point, which is ultimately defense and goaltending. So I think, and I'm couching all of this in the sense of this is the this is a lot wider open than I think last year's Frozen Four was. I really do think that Notre Dame will come up with the victory over Michigan. Well, since you put yourself in the position to make predictions, you have now picked your prospective final which would be notre dame and ohio state yeah wouldn't that be a fun matchup because uh, those teams played in the big 10 championship game which was held in south bend it was one of the conferences that didn't hold their conference tournament at one of the big venues they held it on campus and got a great turnout and that that matchup i think would get a pretty hefty number of people in st paul because I think the people from Columbus would come all the way up to support their team. And you know that the good people of Notre Dame would make the ride from South Bend up here. So that would be a great, great championship game. And I mean, if Duluth or Michigan do make it to the championship game on their own rights, then that would be awesome as well. But I 
think Notre Dame would ultimately hold the edge over what uh, over the other teams just based off of depth and experience. Duluth has coaching experience and top level coaching uh, playing experience, but not the full depth package of uh, what you need to win a tournament like this. Michigan and Ohio State are very young teams. I should say Ohio State is a young program in terms of this level of success, and Michigan is a young team based off of this coaching group and this group of players. So I think Notre Dame has what you need to win a national championship. There'd be something really appropriate about Notre Dame and Ohio State facing off for the national championship, and that comes from the American Hockey Coaches Association, who earlier this week gave the Spencer Penrose Award for the top coach in Division I college hockey to Jeff Jackson, coach of Notre Dame, and the runner-up was Steve Bullock at Ohio State. So these are these are the coaches who have done the two best jobs in the country, and there are a lot of great coaches out there, Chris, but I wouldn't disagree with either of those placements on that list at all. I'll sign on to that. I think Jackson's been extraordinary. He's he's one of the greatest coaches in the history of the sport. He won he won as an assistant coach a championship at Lake State in 1988. He won uh, two championships at Lake Superior in 1992 and 94. And had it not been for Paul Correa and Jim Montgomery at, at Maine, he would have won three consecutive national championships, which to my un, to my knowledge and my looking around at these banners either hasn't happened ever or no it, it happened one time michigan won three in a row 1951 to 1953 but it's never been done in the modern era of the sport he was close to doing that and has turned notre dame into a powerhouse this is the fourth time that he's taken the fighting irish to the frozen four and it's all four times in the history of the irish hockey program so a completely deserved award for Coach Jackson, and a great would near be winning opportunity for uh, for Rolick at Ohio State, and he'll get opportunities to compete for the Penrose in future years. But it's Jackson's here to win it this one, I think. Oh yeah, yeah, I, I think he he's earned it, and I think Notre Dame has earned their status as the slight favorites in this Frozen Four. And best of luck to all four schools competing and all four fan bases whose schools will be competing this weekend. I'm, I, I think the rest of us can only say we're jealous, and that's always the best position for a fan base to be in, isn't it? Yeah, for, for other people to envy your success and envy your position, begrudgingly, yes. I, I, I very much wish that BU were here instead of Michigan, but... They earned their way in here, and I will cover them. And uh, they've been they've been very fun to cover through through the Worcester Regional. So they should be a fun team to get uh, talk to and be around. And Mel Pearson is a great coach, and it's going to be a great tournament up here in St. Paul. And this this is the state of hockey up here in uh, in Minnesota. It should be a fun time. Moving on to the the events in between the two sets of games, there will be the, the semifinals and then a day off and then the the national final between the winner of the first two games. But in the meanwhile, on Friday night, they will hand out some hardware to players and we're left with the Mike Richter Award and the Hobie Baker Award. These are two really exciting fields this year, Chris. Oh yeah, I mean, I have. I, I think you do as well. I think we have uh, our picks for uh, favorites and uh, who we think will end up coming away with the uh, with the winner this year. But uh, the Hobie is, I think, they announced the hat trick recently of uh, Adam Gaudet, Ryan Donato, and I feel uh, who who was the other Heinrich Borgstrom from Denver. All three of those guys are unbelievable talents, and all three of those guys are now playing in the pros. I think it's Goddard's year to uh, win, and I think it's uh, Northeastern's year to take home some individual hardware. It'll be the first time that we've had anyone from Northeastern win the award, and we've had a lot of people from Harvard win the Hobie, most recently Jimmy Vesey in 2016. And I 
and we it would be I don't know how many people have won it from Denver, but uh, it would be not the first time that we've had uh, someone from that program win that award. Well, it'd be the second straight year, and it'd be the second yeah. straight year that someone from Denver won it marginally over someone from Northeastern, because that that's a that's part of the milestone for that program is you're getting Hobie Baker candidates almost every year. Denver, of course, had such a great year last year behind Will Butcher, who won the Hobie Baker Award, and Tanner Gillette, who won the Mike Richter Award. So they took home a lot of hardware last year, and yet they're sending Borgstrom back, and he really did earn his place this year. He did. Oh, and by the way, on that point, uh, Mont- Jim Montgomery won the Penrose as the head coach. So last year, just – their run is over at this point, but just take a moment to appreciate how um, incredible Denver's run was. They won the national championship, the this year's NCHC tournament, last year's NCHC regular season, the Richter, the Penrose, the Hobie, and uh, they and they're putting someone in this year's Hobie hat trick. I think that uh, they'll retool and they'll regroup, and I don't think they'll win as many awards next year. But that run that Denver had for two, three seasons, just unbelievable coming up with, uh, with their ride. So that's off to them for their program. But uh, Borgstrom earned it this year. That dude is a magician with the puck. And Donato, also an unbelievably skilled guy. And I think if he would have played more games and not missed uh, time for the Olympics, I think, one, a Harvard may well stand a chance of being here, and two... I think he'd be my clear favorite. But the fact is, he didn't play in all the games. Adam Gaudet played in all the games. And for a lot of them, he was very clearly the best player on the ice, regardless of who else was suiting up, his team or the other. And he dominated the scoring totals to the point where I have to give it to uh, Gaudet this season. Yeah, I, I honestly think that as good as the as the three players in the Hobie hat trick are, there is a clear right choice on this one. Now, granted, of course, as as people who listen to this podcast know, I went to Northeastern. I like Northeastern hockey. It would be very it would very much make me happy to see a Husky win this award. But I also think Adam Gaudet has earned it, and he has earned it well. He played and let's face it, the difference is he played his best game of the year in the Beanpot Final on on a big stage in a tournament format and in front of front of everybody. So you have that as opposed to Donato, who played very well in the Olympics, by the way. He might have been Team USA's best player for quite a bit of their their Olympic run. And he's been fantastic. I tend to agree with you. If he had a full year, he would probably be the front runner for this award. And of course, Borgstrom, part of this Denver program that's that's achieving oh so much. I just think it's Godet's to lose. I think Godet has earned the Hobie Baker Award, and it would be such a milestone for that program that has come so far to be able to say that they've that they've put someone in a position to win that award and they really did it two years in a row with Zach Aston Reese coming so close, but losing out to a Will Butcher who really, I think he put an exclamation point in his last couple games in the tournament. He was so good in the regionals for the NCAA that I think that really sealed it for him. And I, I think that the Beanpot final did the same thing for God dead. I think he, he had this award He's been the front runner since then, and I don't think anyone's taken it. I agree. Uh, I Butcher was the right person doing it last year. He was absolutely Denver's best player, and Denver. Not only were they the best team last year. My dad, who's been co- who's been not covering, he's been following college hockey since his time as an undergraduate at Harvard in the late seventies. Uh, Denver was one of the best college teams he's ever seen in any capacity at any point in time. And coming from someone who was a long-term fan, the best player on the best team that he's seen following it for a long time, I think he was absolutely the right person to win it last year. Uh, You're right about the Beanpot being his signature game. It's Northeastern's signature game as a program, as I'm 
sure no one uh, from Huntington Avenue will disagree with that point. But uh, Goddett was the best player in that tournament, and Goddett was the best scorer. And was if if we had one or two bounces go Northeastern's way in the regional, then we would be looking at Goddett as a complete runaway. Um, maybe not quite Jack Eichel levels of runaway, but we'd be looking at him as a runaway if one or two bounces would have gone differently. And Northeastern were playing here in St. Paul this weekend. Yeah, I agree with that as well. So it, it would be a huge moment for the for the program. I would love to see it. I will be waiting for the announcement on Friday night and really excited for it. It should be a great moment for, for whoever wins it, really. But I really think it, I, I really hope it's Godet. I think it should be. And moving on to the Mike Richter Award, this might be a little more up in the air because there's so many great goaltenders that came through this year. Oh, it's it's a great field that we've got this year. Uh, Matt Galeta, it's a five-person uh, group of finalists. Matt Galeta from Cornell, who has the second highest save percentage at 940 and nine shutouts this season, was sensational. And by the way, he played fewer games because Ivy League schools, as he is at Cornell, they play fewer games. They're, they have an Ivy League rule of certain winter sports and not allowed to start uh, – before a certain time in the year, and other schools don't have those limitations because they're not Ivy Leagues. So he played many fewer games, but he has more shutouts than anyone on this list with nine. The next closest is Colton Point at six. So an incredible season for the freshman. Uh, Colton Point was phenomenal at Colgate, and he didn't. The shame about Point is that he didn't get a lot of help. He put up a, a goals allowed average of 174 and a save percentage of 944. And Colgate barely finished with a record uh, around or in, near 500. So in terms of just individual talent, I think you could absolutely make a case that, um, that Colton Point was actually the nation's best goaltender just in terms of individual talent and uh, what they accomplished by themselves but he didn't get a lot of help at at Colgate and that's why their record struggled and uh, so that's it's, I feel bad for Colton but he'll come back next year and he'll be competitive uh, for this award again next year Tanner Gillette already won it once had a great season with Denver uh, he's not going to win it again I don't think they'll give it to a repeat person they've not given it to a repeat in uh, ever actually since they started awarding this in 2014 your friend Caden Primo at Northeastern, very good season. I think he'll be looked at as he had a lot of help on the offensive end, and he got some good cushions uh, to work with at Northeastern. That leaves Kale Morris at Notre Dame, and he was he was one of the leading players and has the highest save percentage at 9.46 on quite possibly the nation's best team. So I think this one it's a little bit up in the air, but I think it'll go to Morris this season. I I agree it should go to Morris or to to someone who played the full season and Morris of course was in net for the full season for the Fighting Irish and I think that's that's important when evaluating these finalists I, I I'm happy to see Caden Primo on that list it's another one of those milestones I like so much but he didn't play the full season he wasn't the starting goaltender for the first essentially month of the college hockey season. So I, I think that should should matter. And as a freshman, I, I think that he's on track where he might be back on this list in a more full season. I think Gillette, you know, it, it's hard to give an award to a player who hasn't even had his best year because he was so good last year. Very good this year as well. He was even better last year, and it's hard to keep giving him the award when, when that's true. And, you know, back to your point about Morris, he was the best player on a team that – well, they stand a pretty good chance to end up being the best team in the entire country this year. So that that should really say something. When I say best player, I don't just mean the best, the only goalie. I mean the best player. Oh yeah, and that's on a team which has a lot of very strong players in Jordan Gross, Dylan Malmquist. I mean, there are guys on that Notre Dame team that have a legitimate chance of going on and playing at the next level and have been big-time contributors and big-time players. So Morris, I think, is the best player, but 
I do think Colton Point is actually the most talented goalkeeper on this list. Uh, for what he did at Colgate, he deserves a ton of uh, uh, praise and uh, should be commended for his efforts. But he just didn't get the help that you need to in order to be counted as one of the greatest goaltenders in the sport. I just feel bad for him is all. I can understand that. And I can understand it. It's kind of a shame that Cornell didn't go as far in the tournament. So we don't have Matthew Goleta. We're we're not talking about him in the same respect. We're talking about Kale Morris because for most of the regular season, he was doing a lot of the same things that Morris was doing, but it really does. It, I hate to say these last couple games matter more, but in a sense, they really do. They they really do, and it's not that he played poorly in in cold in Cornell's last couple games, but it it does matter that Kale Morris played fantastically, and I think that put the exclamation point on it, and I think that won him the award. Again, I I tend to look at the signature moment as the difference between two guys that are very similar, and Kale Morris has it. Yeah. And these guys who are, everyone on this list except for Gillette is a freshman or a sophomore. And I think Morris will be back for another year. Primo and Point will definitely be back at Northeastern and Colgate, respectively. Goleta, guaranteed, is going back to Cornell. So I think there's certainly a chance for everyone on this list to be nominated again next year. Not that it will happen, but... There's absolutely an opportunity for all of these guys to come back next year and be awesome and uh, get nominated for this award again. So I do think Elida got rattled late in the season, but he's a freshman and he played very well for the biggest uh, stretch of it. And I'm not going to put that on his shoulders as the reason why Cornell didn't make it out of uh, out of the regional against BU so oh not at all not that that wasn't my intention at all I I was just pointing out that Morris played extremely well in Notre Dame's advancement to the Frozen Four and that just kind of put him over the top oh yeah he had two overtime games in the postseason one in the uh one in the Big Ten championship game against Ohio State and that thriller we've mentioned against Michigan Tech which I can't put enough stress uh, on how tight and how unbelievably close that game was, especially the final couple seconds of overtime where Tech had the winning goal on their stick and the shot at the point, the stick broke. I think I, Morris, is, Morris is the Richter Award winner this season, I think. I, I wouldn't be completely shocked if it were anyone else on this list, but I do think that uh, Morris is the is the eventual winner of this award. All right, and as we wrap up, I guess we talked about coaching changes two weeks ago on our last episode of, of Puck University, so I guess we should talk about how that's that's kind of continuing now as there is a new coach at the University of Minnesota. Yeah, and it's uh, it's a face that the state of hockey is familiar with. The longtime head coach at uh, at the university at uh, Saint Cloud State led them all the way to the uh, uh, to the national to uh, the Frozen Four back in 2013. Led them to the top record in the NCHC this year and uh, was a candidate for the Penrose this year for the way that he led his team. Bob Motzko, who's uh, congratulations on getting promoted to one of the true blue blood programs. Uh, he deserved it, but it was a very quick hire for the program that he's going to and for the program that he is departing from. I did not think that he'd be leaving that quickly from St. Cloud. It's it's bittersweet because there you see Minnesota get a very good coach that is going to be great for their program, but much like last year with Michigan, this year you have another program who was building under a coach and who has now lost that coach, and that would be St. Cloud State, 
now without a coach. Now, Michigan Tech did just fine with their next coach. They almost did even better in winning an NCAA tournament game. And frankly, for most of that game against Notre Dame, I thought Michigan Tech had it won. And so to play that well, they did well enough without their their former coach. And now that's going to be put the same the same task is going to be put to St. Cloud State. And if Michigan Tech can get over losing Mel Pearson that quickly, then St. Cloud State could get back on its feet. But it is bittersweet to see a coach that's done so much for the Huskies to leave St. Cloud. It is. I mean, good on him for going up and getting a uh, spot in with the big program in the state of hockey, which St. Cloud is a very good program, but let's be realistic. The Golden Gophers are the program in the state of Minnesota. So it's a, it's a big hire. It's a big promotion and uh, a well, a well-deserved honor for, uh, for Motsko. But I would just be a little bit concerned about, uh, about him for this one thing. St. Cloud has had a couple of years where they were one of the top teams in the country throughout a lot of the regular season, and they didn't pull it off and uh, didn't reach the uh, uh, the heights of success that they really wanted to. They've only been to one Frozen Four, and that was back in 2013. They've not been there in a while, and I have to ask a few questions about how if Motsko will change his approach uh, in the next uh, stage of his career and not saying anything bad about him or uh, that he didn't do his job. He certainly did. But I just have a few questions about what he'll do because they don't tolerate uh, messing up or losing in those kinds of situations at Minnesota. Yeah, that's that's the disadvantage of taking a job that big is it becomes a pass-fail kind of a a grading system and that's not necessarily great for a coach because now there is but one goal and that goal is a national championship. There's a lot of college hockey that happens in the given season and to have the goal only be the national championship that puts a lot on a program and a lot on a coach. Now there are a lot of coaches out there. Well, not a lot, but a few coaches and programs out there that can turn and say, well, yeah, sure. That's what, that's what we call Tuesday in our life, in our life cycle. But everyone else, that's that's a tough ask. And for someone who's never been in that position before, that's going to be a new world to enter into. Yeah, Jerry York at BC is used to that. David Quinn at BU is used to that. I'd say Mel Pearson with all his years, uh, even though he's just completing his first year in Michigan, he got them to the Frozen Four and he was an assistant for a long time under Red Berenson and turned that Michigan team in the late 90s into a powerhouse. So, yeah, there's a couple people like that, and Motsko's now in that position, and I hope for his sake that he'll be able to handle the pressure because there's a lot of expectations riding on your shoulders at one of college hockey's blue blood programs. Best of luck to him, and uh, there's a couple holes left to fill in the college hockey uh coaching cycle but those will sort themselves out and we'll have plenty of things to note when uh, when they get filled well we'll be back next week to to sort out the national champion to praise whichever team wins this out of this weekend and again best of luck to all four we'll be able to talk about who, who did win the hobie as opposed to who should win the hobie hopefully it's the same conversation and we'll be able to talk about who won the Mike Richter Award, as well as where a lot of these programs go moving forward. And I will get out of the way because practice is getting in it. So I'm going to just bid Chris farewell. Enjoy the Excel Center. Enjoy the rest of this weekend. Chris Lynch of InsideHockey.com, thank you once again for joining the show. And please tell people where they can find you on social media. You can find all my game stories and my previews at InsideHockey.com on the NCAA Hockey tab there. And you can find me on my socials at CC Lynch Wall on Twitter and at CC Lynch 16 on Instagram. And it's Michigan that is practicing right now, and they are getting into it right now. As they should, and what a hard-earned bid to the Frozen Four 
Ladies and gentlemen, enjoy the four games. This has been another episode of Puck University. I'm your host, Tim Williams. You can find me on Twitter at Tim Writes Sports. And as always, keep your head up. It's fun. Cool.